In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In a chapel in Rome, there is a painting of the scene that opens today's gospel lesson, The Calling of St. Matthew by Caravaggio. On the left-hand side of the painting, the five men wearing fine clothes are sitting at a table. They're engaged in counting coins, which lie upon the table, or rather I should say they have been counting coins because they are pictured having just been interrupted in what they were doing. Three of them look up in astonishment, while two are still looking down, occupied with the money. The one who has interrupted them is, of course, Jesus. Caravaggio paints him on the extreme right-hand side of the painting, his, almost all of him obscured in shadow except for his arm and his face. From above, the Lord shines light, into the faces of the astonished money men, and his right arm extends an imperious gesture, pointing to the central figure of the group of money men, who is, of course, Matthew, who, with eyebrows raised, points to himself in incredulity, even as his other hand rests on the table, still grasping a coin. Everything about Matthew's attitude expresses the unspoken question of astonishment. Me? Caravaggio's painting brilliantly depicts the surprising nature of Jesus' choice in calling this money man to himself, a choice which perhaps surprises Matthew most of all. Matthew, you see, was a tax man. And if death and taxes are the two certainties in life, then dislike of the taxman must be a close third. Because the taxman, as the Beatles knew, is the one who says to you, if you drive a car, I'll tax the street. If you try to sit, I'll tax your seat. If you get too cold, I'll tax the heat. If you try to walk, I'll tax your feet. No one likes the taxman, and dislike of the taxman was especially high in the first century in Roman-occupied Palestine. Then a tax collector like Matthew was someone who had bought the right to collect toll taxes for the Roman Empire, and like a taxman like Matthew then had every incentive to squeeze his fellow citizens for more than they owed and to keep the extra cash for himself. And so the dishonesty of tax collectors had become proverbial, and they were spoken of in the same breath as such unsavory characters as robbers and murderers. And to his fellow Jews, a taxman like Matthew would have been doubly despised as a traitor to his people, or as Joel Marcus puts it, a corrupt toady, of a hated imperial presence. In short, a taxman like Matthew most definitely was not the sort of person 
you would imagine a rabbi wanting to choose as a disciple. But one day, Jesus passed by, and he saw that tax man, Matthew, sitting in his tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Perhaps the moment was as Caravaggio imagined, the master indicating Matthew, Matthew astonished and perplexed, one hand on his money and the other on his heart, indicating his astonishment, caught for an instant between two possibilities. Perhaps Matthew had never imagined anything else. Perhaps his world was completely defined by the pursuit of worldly success and a few dollars more. Or, on the other hand, perhaps he had grown dissatisfied with his way of life and longed for a change, but could not imagine how to make it. Whatever his heart, Jesus' gaze fell on him, and his voice addressed him. And wonder of wonders, Matthew the taxman got up and walked out after him. Now, tradition has it that Matthew the taxman went on to become Matthew the evangelist, that is, the man who wrote the gospel that bears his name. And what's striking about the way that Matthew tells his own story is the way in which he places all the emphasis on Jesus. He doesn't give himself any credit. He simply says, that Jesus saw him and said, follow me, and that he, Matthew, rose up and followed him. And as if to drive the point home, when he writes, he arose, he uses the same word that's used to tell of the resurrection of Jesus, his rising from the dead. It's the same word in both cases, arose. That is, as someone says, the story of the calling of Matthew bears the structure of resurrection. The structure of the resurrection, the shape of the resurrection that Jesus introduces to our human experience. There is Matthew the taxman, sitting in the tax booth, as helpless to change himself as a corpse in a tomb and perhaps as uninterested in changing himself as a corpse in a tomb. When Jesus shows up and calls him, and he rises to new life. The emphasis is all on Jesus, on his gaze, his voice, his power. In calling Matthew the taxman from the tomb of his tax booth, Jesus acts as God does. God, who, as St. Paul says in our epistle lesson, quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. God, who calls light out of darkness, who makes an old man, Abraham, and he as good as dead, to be the father of many nations. This God now calls a taxman of all people and gives him a new life and makes him an evangelist. Matthew's story has the shape of resurrection, the shape of new creation, because this is how our God works, how God, 
our Savior works to call us from the death of sin into the life of righteousness, into the new life of grace and forgiveness through our Lord Jesus. God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, the scripture declares. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not because of works, lest any man should boast. The calling of Matthew proclaims the gospel of grace. It shows forth the great mercy and love of God. And in that way, it is the story of us all. Let me approach the same thing from a different angle. In the gospel, the calling of Matthew comes just after the story of Jesus healing the paralytic. Maybe you remember that story. A paralyzed man is brought to Jesus. Notice he's paralyzed. He's not able to come on his own. Jesus forgives his sins and then heals him, saying to him, rise and walk. The paralytic man does nothing to warrant this, nothing to merit forgiveness and healing. Indeed, he's paralyzed. He cannot come on his own strength. Others have to bring him to the Lord. Now, thinking of that story and the calling of Matthew, do you see how they both share a similar shape? Just as the paralyzed man does nothing of his own strength to come to Jesus, so Matthew is just sitting there, surrounded by money, when Jesus' gaze falls on him. And the parallel suggests further that Matthew, although not suffering from a physical malady, is nevertheless, as it were, sick unto death, until Jesus, the great physician, comes to heal him. How does Jesus heal Matthew the taxman? By calling him to himself. Follow me, he says, and he rose up and followed him. That is, he becomes his companion. He keeps company with Jesus. And as the next scene makes clear, he eats with him, becoming his companion in the etymological sense of sharing bread together. He feasts with Jesus in his own house. St. Luke's version of the story makes it clear that it's the tax man's house that the feast takes place in. He reclines at table with Jesus, along with many other tax collectors and sinners, that is, flagrant violators of the law of Moses. Jesus feasts with them all. He reclines together with them. He relishes their company. He shares his life with them. He breaks bread with them. That is the way in which Jesus turns this tax man into an evangelist. Jesus himself, that is, is the medicine for Matthew's sin-sick soul. As the hymn says, his presence is balm. He is the one thing needful. Being with Jesus is enough to heal and to save 
a sin-sick soul. A perceptive commentator on this passage, a man with the wonderful name of Erasmo Levi Miracakis, writes this. He says, The deepest meaning of Christian discipleship is not to work for Jesus, but to be with Jesus. Not to work for Jesus, but to be with Jesus. I think that is exactly right. Jesus is enough. Being with him is enough. His presence is balm. Being with him is the only thing we need. Being with him is the source and the goal of the mission of the church. To be with Jesus. It is enough. And is it enough for us to see that we too, like Matthew, are there waiting for Jesus to come and heal us? That we ourselves are among the sin-sick souls that Christ came to heal and to save. Christ who says, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Now tell me, when you think about yourself, how do you see yourself? Who are you? Are you among the whole or among those who need healing? In an interview, Pope Francis was once asked, Who is Jorge Mario Bergoglio? And the Pope answered, I am a sinner whom the Lord has looked upon. I am the one who is looked upon by the Lord, he said. And the Pope went on to tell how he would often visit that chapel in Rome with Caravaggio's painting of the calling of St. Matthew. And he said, that finger of Jesus pointing at Matthew, that's me, I, I feel like him, like Matthew. It is the gesture of Matthew that strikes me. He holds on to his money as if to say, no, not me. No, this money is mine. Here, this is me, a sinner on whom the Lord has turned his gaze. May we too see ourselves as sinners on whom the Lord has turned his gaze. May I, with St. Matthew, see myself as a sinner whom the Lord has looked upon and rejoice in his look of love and mercy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.